Welcome to the Crystal Clear Podcast with Weekly Standard founder and editor-at-large, Bill Crystal. I'm Eric Felton. Bill, joining us by Skype from New York. How are you? Just fine. How are you? I'm doing fine. So I seem to notice that there was something in the news about um, some fellow named Steve Bannon. Who's he? What happened? Uh, he's someone who I, I thought shouldn't have been in the White House in the first place, given his kind of irresponsibility and recklessness. Uh, at uh, Breitbart and, and in other parts of his career, but a kind of a fan of the alt-right and uh, someone who toyed with pretty uh, unpalatable elements, I would say, of, of, of the right. Um, anyway, he was in the White House, and now he's resigned, obviously. Uh, I do think the precipitating cause was his the interview he gave a couple of days ago where he just popped off about Korea, among other things, and said there is your no real military option, which wasn't just a sort of slight at the president who's been saying this military option, but, you know, could have undercut, if it was taken seriously, American foreign policy, which in which everyone from the Secretary of President to the Secretary of Defense down was saying, look, we don't want to use military force. It'd be very difficult, but it remains an option. So uh, but it's I think it was characteristic in a sense of the whole Trump White House. No sense of being serious about it. it's not the campaign anymore. It's not the primary. It's not even the general election. Even their words have consequences. But still, it's a campaign. It's not the transition. Uh, you know, the, it's the president of the United States. It's the White House. These are not people who work for Donald Trump. They're people who work for us, who are White House officials. And they're just saying things that do damage to or con uh, foreign policy that confuse our allies, uh, that confuse the American people. Uh, or in, in the Charlottesville case, uh, the other the huge event of the week, obviously, that uh, encouraged some of the worst forces in America and, and uh, don't bring the country together. So, yeah, if you're talking you know, about popping off, making you have to resign from the White House, that would um, seem to apply to the president more than anyone. Yeah, well, yeah, he's less inclined to resign, I suppose. And again, it's not one can be less or more fastidious about these things. But just thinking as a president or as an aide to a president is very, very different from thinking as a candidate and as an insurgent and as representative of one group of people trying to defeat another group of people. That's legitimate. That's politics. But it's a little different. And it's legitimate at times when you're even even when you're president or when you're an aide to a president, but but not as your standard operating procedure. So let's talk a little bit about the Charlottesville fallout this week. And um, do you really think that Donald Trump thinks there are fine people among the Ku Kluxers and neo-Nazis? You know, I think he probably thinks that there were fine. There are fine people, and this is true, who uh, would not have been in favor of removing the Lee statue, or in general, think the Confederate statues should all or mostly be left alone, and that they were kind of. Part, and maybe he's convinced from reading certain websites or whatever that they were part of the march. I don't think there's any evidence. Steve Hayes wrote a terrific piece for us that that there were many such people who were part of the march. In fact, the groups that had been organized previously for the political argument in Charlottesville to defend the Lee statue told their members to stay away from the march because it was organized by outsiders and it was an explicit um, alt-right, uh, you know, friendly to fascist types, neo-Nazi types, KKK types march. Not that everyone in the march was exactly that, but it was people who didn't mind being seen with those people, which is itself a rather astonishing uh, thing and makes it a rather small subgroup, what hopes, and I believe, of the American right. So decent people mostly stayed away. Trump said the opposite in his attempt to kind of uh, make it seem like, you know, just a few bad apples and there was some decent people on both sides. Generally, the Trump White House strategy has been trying to turn the events in Charlottesville into a debate about the statues, which is a more complicated issue. 
uh, and where the public's probably a little more evenly divided. But I don't think that ultimately works when you do have the Nazi flag and you have the torchlight parade and you have the stories of what happened and obviously most notably the, the death of, uh, uh, of the young woman and, uh, you know, in a purposeful attack by a neo-Nazi who came there from out of town to be part of this uh, demonstration. Monday, the president says what he needed to say belatedly, but but did say it. And then Tuesday, he takes the opportunity at an unrelated event to double down on his original comments. What happened Tuesday? Well, I think Tuesday he said what he meant and then what he said. He said what he wanted to say, which was true on Saturday. And then he you know, was sort of dragooned by his staff back into saying something more respectable, though not really satisfactory even on, on Monday. So Tuesday we saw uh, you know, what he thinks, and he thinks as a candidate uh, of whom this group is part of his base and he needs to keep them on board and worked in the campaign. He didn't pay a big price. Uh, he ultimately won. He didn't pay a big price for uh, you know, distasteful and inappropriate things he said. And he sort of is conducting himself that way as president. As I said earlier, I think it's a, it's a big difference. And I think that's one reason people are so offended. I mean, obviously, there's a lot of sort of uh, excessive, you might say, people looking for an excuse or an opportunity to take offense. But the genuine offense is that, um, you know, when someone's killed, when there's this kind of demonstration, Nazi flags on a major in, in the streets of a, an important American city, it's a famous American city, Thomas Jefferson City. And then, you know, you have a president sort of half excusing it and half minimizing it. People do expect more from the president, from their president. I don't think in this case, I think Donald Trump's given them plenty of reason not to expect more, but they still do. And they are offended when the president falls so far short. Well, your reaction on Tuesday, you tweeted, quote, it feels tonight as if the question of Trump will end up irreparably splitting the conservative movement and the GOP. But what then? So... Two, two questions. One, how? And, and second, and indeed, what then? Yet I'm not sure what the answer to either is. I, I really, what I was capturing on the, in that, trying to say in that tweet was that you just, there are a lot of people who've worked together, you know, more or less closely, been associated with each other uh, for five years, 10 years, 20 years, 30 years in, let's call it broadly, the American conservative movement. Um, yeah, certainly I've been part of it and proud to have been part of it. But there are now the, the, the gap between those who uh, rationalize Trump and then he says something terrible and they feel they have to keep on rationalizing. And those of us on the other side, I would say, and I sort of put myself on the other side, we have gradations there too, but who basically think we need to be a movement that repudiates Trump more or less. I mean, there are different degrees and different ways of doing that, but that Trump cannot be the future of American conservatism. I mean, that's a pretty, that gulf has just gotten so big. And I think on each side, people almost can't understand sort of where the other people are coming from and how they can hold the views they do. When you get into a situation like that, it's a little hard to put these movements back together. And I think that's true of the conservative movement, true of a lot of some conservative elites. Maybe true of the Republican Party. We'll see. Uh, you know, obviously, there will be life after Trump, and maybe things come back together, and the party has its normal primary fights with the Marco Rubios and the Ben Sasses and the Tom Cottons and the John Kasichs of the world, and everything just kind of goes back to the way it might have seemed it was in 2015. It doesn't quite feel that way right now, though. So I really don't know what happens then, whether the party splits, whether one side just prevails over the other, whether people move to third parties or to another party. Uh, whether the conservative movement and that with the term conservative 
last, really, or whether people sort of decide, look, it had a great run, did a lot of good for the country, and now we're, you know, going to have a, a party of liberty or uh, something else. I mean, it just, I, I really think we're in uncharted waters in a way that I guess I don't think we've been since, you know, I came to Washington 30 years ago, when, you know, in a way that the last huge disruption in politics of this kind was the late 60s and 70s with a large chunk of the Democratic Party moving over to the Republican Party, with liberals becoming neoconservatives, uh, with the rise of the religious right, with the new left. I mean, that was the 60, what would you say, 65 to 80, I guess. It was 15 years that, and maybe we're in the equivalent of the beginning of that, of a 15-year uh, period like that now. I also wonder if there's uh, going to be an effect for the GOP and for the conservative movement beyond the breaking apart of old friendships and old um, allies and uh, allegiances. Um, the left is always trying to make conservatism stigmatized and something to that people feel embarrassed about um, uh, ascribing to in, in public. Trump has kind of used that, has made it a foil, but it seems that he may just be making it so easy for the left to stigmatize conservatism that there may be a long-term uh, wilderness for, for conservatives to face just in, in public opinion. Look, I think that's a big fear, a legitimate fear that a lot of uh, conservatives, a lot of us have had about what Trump would do to the term, to the movement, to the, to the people who become associated with him, to the political party that he won the nomination of and that he does represent. We can't really deny that as president. Um, he has an R after his name. Um, and people like us can say, well, it's not really the same R as the R of Ronald Reagan or George W. Bush. And he says that sometimes, too, but it doesn't matter, probably, at some level. So, um, no, I think that's a very fair question. I don't know where it ends up. Um, you know, there's a lot of there's some history on both sides of this. I mean, there sometimes are movements that just get stigmatized. Uh, somewhat unfairly, you know, they were decent and even healthy for X number of decades, and then they, they get bad leadership, they go off the rails, and people just don't want to be considered themselves or be considered to be the part of that or the inheritor or the heir of that. There are other times when you have pretty bad, you know, presidents or leaders, and uh, they get uh, removed or they just, they, 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 their term runs out and things come back, you know, and people didn't, people didn't feel bad about being Republicans by 1980 after Nixon, for example. So, uh, one can, it's, I, I, that's why I really don't know. I think it's very hard to judge sort of what the long-term effects are. We're only seven months into the Trump presidency. We don't know how long the Trump presidency is going to be. Are we talking about a big, probably make a big difference psychologically and politically if we're talking about a, you know, one year, Trump presidency or a three-year or a four-year or an eight-year, right? So just that simple fact, um, you know, will make a huge difference. Now, you wrote this week in, in terms of understanding the Trump phenomenon that perhaps the essential article is one uh, written by an old friend of, uh, of yours and a professor of mine once upon a time, Harvey Mansfield, in commentary on the vulgar manliness of Donald Trump. Uh, I particularly... Uh, liked your note, pulling a quote from, from the article that Trump had made much of um, opposing the schoolmarm political correctness that admonishes rather than argues. And are we really fighting against that or is he empowering that schoolmarm sensibility? I, I, as Manuel suggests, I think Trump deserves credit, I, I think, for, I suppose, for being willing to, but for seeing how powerful the reaction potentially against that was. 
and for uh, claiming it and, and coming to uh, embody it and getting credit for attacking it. I think he's now in some way discrediting the criticism of it. It's probably strengthening political correctness. I'd say he and you know, Trump and political correctness are now in a vicious cycle where every time Trump does something outrageous, it becomes harder for those of us who also want to criticize progressive political correctness to do so because we don't want to look like we're allying with Trump. And we don't, and we don't it's not just a matter of fastidiousness. We really don't want to ally with Trump and the forces behind him. And then when the politically correct, uh, just extend the borders of political correctness, um, you know, the Trump is the reaction to that. So it's a vicious cycle for now. Well, one could imagine coming out of this with a, a lot of people saying, you know what, both we need to get away from both vulgar manliness and authoritarianism and populism on the one hand and the school marmish political correctness uh, on the progressive side. On the other hand, that would be a healthy, a happy outcome. I, I think that could happen, really. And I don't think and I think that's something we should all try to make happen. I don't think that's going to right now. The dynamic is the other way. Well, here's to healthy, happy outcomes. We can hope we can hope. That's it for the Crystal Clear podcast today. Be sure to tune in every week. Just go to iTunes or Google Play for a free subscription or go to our website, weeklystandard.com. Thanks so much, Bill. Thanks, Eric.